is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 21st day of November, 2023. Good to have you with us. We are winding up the week towards Thanksgiving. Um, oh, I'm, I'm still looking at my board, and it looks like I've got dropped frames and all sorts of stuff. So I'm still having streaming issues. Um, I talked yesterday to the, the folks at uh, my ISP that I really must praise. They they are they they are very responsive and try to get you get you squared away and get you back online and all of that stuff. And I have appreciated them for many years. And, uh, um, and they said, yeah, you've had some problems. They helped me adjust some settings on my computer. Part of the problem was with the new computer, I hadn't throttled like, you know, some of the, the cloud services upload and download speeds. So they were hogging all my bandwidth. So I've changed some of those settings. But I'm looking down here, and I've still got a lot of drop frames and stuff on the podcast here. So I'm not sure how we're doing here. Um, I, I do record everything. We'll post the audio. I've had the the podcast, the, the webcast, has not run completely since, like, last Tuesday or Wednesday. I've had the, the, the webcast has just cut off. So... Subscribe to the audio podcast to make sure you get the full show. And I may just start pre-recording the show and uploading the video. Because if I can upload the video to restream, it'll stream uh, on time and completely like it's supposed to. But yeah, it's frustrating. I, I admit, I uh, and I've still got the ghosting problem on the camera. That's been an issue. Um the Lumina guys contacted me at the end of last week and said, hey, have you updated the driver on your your uh, um, graphics card? Which, of course, I hadn't. Brand new computer, but I had, never, I had never updated the graphics card. So I've done that. So now the software will not crash. The problem is the software is not recognizing my camera because my camera doesn't have a serial number. My camera, like I said, I was an early adopter of the Lumina camera. I I, uh, I did it while it was still a, a crowdsourced, uh, oh, what's the crowdsource site? <laughs> Kickstarter. Um, I got it when it was a Kickstarter. And so I've had it from the beginning. And my camera doesn't have a serial number. And this hasn't been a problem, but I had noticed on the, every time I looked at the software page that, you know, there was no serial number for my camera. Well, with the new software, it's like, we can't find serial number on your camera. We're not going to hook up to it. So I'm still having trouble with the Lumina camera. I'm still using the, the older Logitech camera right now, which has given me all the blurry lines. Um, I may pick up a new webcam just to try to get back to some semblance of normalcy as far as that goes. But yeah, it looks like it, it's saying now that I've dropped 
45% of my, I've got dropped frames all over the place. So I don't know what's going on. Hopefully the, the stream will hold out until we are done with the, uh, with the podcast this morning. Had a great conversation on Gab last with a listener who is looking to get a uh, print copy of the Legacy Standard Bible, and he was he was down between two two editions. He wanted a reference Bible, and right now the only reference Bibles are the inner column reference Bible and the giant print reference. And so he was asking which I would recommend, which puts me in a quandary. <laughs> It puts me in a quandary because I use both of them. <laughs> this is my preaching Bible. This is a Jeffrey Rice rebind, and I wish you could see it clearer, but the camera's just not up to it. This is a, a Jeffrey Rice rebind. It's got the five solas on the the uh, the spine. Um, obviously, Jeffrey didn't put the Bible tabs on there. I did that. But this is the inner column reference Bible. And this is the one I preach from, because I very much like a verse-by-verse -verse layout. And just like the Preaching Bible and the Handy Size Bible, this has the verse numbers set out to the side, so it's real easy to, to zip down the page, find the uh, verse you're looking for. Um, great for preaching. It's a, it's a nice large print. It's easy to read. And while I don't use the... Uh, um, I don't use the... Uh, references, of course, while I'm preaching, it's handy to have them, and especially for, for Bible study and stuff like that. But here on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, when we're doing our um, study Bible level Bible study, I'm using the Giant Print Reference Bible. Now, this is just the, the imitation leather Giant Print Reference Bible um, that I got from, from the folks at Steadfast Bible 316 Publishing. And it's it's a it, it's paragraph format. This is my reading Bible. Um, this is the one. This Bible, along with my MacArthur Study Bible, are the Bibles that are on my desk when I'm sitting and reading. If I'm not using the Bible software, which I generally do for my uh, Bible study and and sermon prep and stuff like that, I use the Bible software. But when I'm reading like doing my read-through of the Bible and stuff like that, I'm using this. Paragraph format, it's actually even a larger print than the, uh, what is the print size on this? It's it's pretty big. Um, now, the interesting thing is that the giant print, let's see what the print size is. They don't say that in the, it's in all the advertisement, but they don't put it on the, in the front of the Bible, which probably makes sense. Um yeah, it's not in here about what the print size is. But this is actually a larger print than the ICR. Um, and the ICR is pretty nice. Um, I actually think the ICR is a bigger print than the large print wide margin. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. It's either the same or a little bit bigger. Um, so the ICR is great for preaching out of, and I love it. Um, but for reading, I like the paragraph format. So... My recommendation to him was you'll be happy with either one. <laughs> but uh, so the, the main thing to me is do you prefer a paragraph format or do you prefer a verse-by-verse uh, -verse format? And again, like I said, that's for, for different purposes. I prefer each one. Now, I grew up with a verse-by-verse -verse format. My, I, I, I never had a paragraph uh, Bible with paragraphs 
in the tax until I was, you know, in my late twenties. When I when we were going to a church uh, that uh, used the NIV, uh, the the old NIV, and so I had an NIV, and it was in paragraph form. I think that was all all that was available for the NIV. It may still be all that's available for the NIV. And so that was the first Bible I ever had in paragraph form. And of course, the the ESV that I used for years had paragraph format. But growing up, you know, I started with a King James Bible. The Bible I was given at my baptism was a King James Bible. And I used that up until high school when we started going to a church that used the New American Standard. And so dad got everybody in the family a New American Standard Bible. And this was the old 77. And and I used that New American Standard up until started using the NIV. And then I went back to the New American Standard, and it was all verse by verse. So the King James was verse by verse. The New American Standard was verse by verse. And it wasn't until, like I said, the NIV that I started using, excuse me, that I started using a uh, paragraph format. <clears throat> excuse me. Suddenly got a cough going. I, man, I've got a frog. Where did that come from? Um, pardon me for just a moment. Oh, man. Snuck up on me this morning. So, you know, and, and like I said, I still like the, the verse by verse for preaching. But paragraph format is a little bit nicer for reading. I also have my new concealed carry Bible. You know, this is the big assault Bible. This is the little concealed carry Bible. This is the LSB compact Bible. And it's much smaller print. I can actually read it without my glasses. Um, I can't read it with my glasses, even my reading glasses. When I get it far enough away that it starts to get, get clear, it's too far away <laughs> to read. Um, let me try it with my bifocals. Um, I think with my bifocal, These are intermediate glasses for computer work. These are my everyday running around glasses with the bifocals and uh yeah it's still yeah that's that's no good for but with my without my glasses on i can read the compact bible because i'm very nearsighted um so i can i can pick this up and hold it close and read it just fine um and so this is my my concealed carry bible because i like to have for evangelizing um, I like to have the full text of the uh, Old and New Testament. Um, and so this is full text, Old and New Testament, paragraph format. Um, and, and this is a, an excellent little, you know, concealed carry Bible. Um, I haven't started carrying that. I'm still carrying my New Testament Psalms and Proverbs that was the first LSB printed Bible I got. But I got this just just recently. It, they just came out. This is, again, the imitation leather cover from uh, Legacy Standard Bible. Um, I don't know what they call it, leather flex or whatever. Um, it's a plasticized leather. I'm not sure what, you know, how that works. I am not up on the manufacturing of imitation leather covers. I'm sure it's some sort of vinyl. Feels great. Feels feels like leather. Um and uh, the print quality is very good. The paper quality is good. So this is my my new new compact edition Legacy Standard Bible. But that's going to be you know certainly not anything I'm using from the pulpit or 
here in the podcast or even, you know, um, you know, it's not even a Bible I'm going to take to church because I want something I can set in my lap and read, which is, um, and, and usually I'm taking my, the Bible I preach from to church. So when, when Pastor Scott's preaching, I'm looking along on my Legacy Standard Bible. He preaches from the ESV, um, but I, I take my Legacy Standard Bible um, to church with me. And when I preach there, I preach from the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, and I'm, I will be preaching the first Sunday in Advent. So that will be fun. That will be, that's coming up quickly. So I'm going to be doing the, the first Advent message this year. Still haven't seriously started working on that, and I need to start get rolling on that. All right. After I have talked for 15 minutes, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to Scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about, like print editions of the Bible. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Scroll Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to, I guarantee. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy continues. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20 today. Um, But before we get into the uh, body of the podcast, um, we prayed yesterday for for Paul Washer of Heart Cry Cry, uh, Missions. And uh, Paul had bypass surgery yesterday. The word that HeartCry put out late yesterday afternoon was that the surgery was successful and that uh, heart function was good, continue to pray for his recovery, but it looks like everything went well. Um, so we, we praise God for that, and we continue to pray for, for Paul's recovery. Um, so that was a bit of good news, and I'm, I'm happy to pass that along. Um, so let us now... Begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins, and serve you with a quiet mind, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, now our reading from our day our reading from daily readings from the life of Christ, um, volume one, and uh, it looks like we are about to get into the Lord's Prayer, as the the uh, devotional today is entitled "The Lord's Prayer: An Overview, Part One." Pray then in this way: Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Dr. MacArthur writes, In the words of this passage, Jesus provides a concise but comprehensive model outline of genuine prayer. First, our Lord addresses God's glory, verses 9 and 10. Then he speaks to humanity's need, verses 11 through 13. Three petitions make up each of the sections. The first three deal with God's name, kingdom, and will. The second three appeal to the Father concerning daily bread, forgiveness, and protection from temptation. Jesus says nothing specific about where we should pray. During his earthly ministry, he prayed in many different places and situations, both public and private. Paul instructed his readers to pray in every place, 1 Timothy 2.8. There is also nothing specific about a time to pray. Jesus prayed at many different hours around the clock. Scripture pictures believers praying at every conceivable occasion, at regular habitual prayer times, at times of specific danger and special blessing, before and after meals, and when arriving at or leaving a certain location. At any time and under any circumstance, prayer is appropriate. It should be a continual comprehensive way of life, an open communion with God. See Ephesians 6.18 and 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Ask yourself, as we embark on several days of devotional discussion concerning the Lord's Prayer, try to articulate what this passage has meant to you through the years. What is it in this pattern of prayer that is ministered to you in deep, unforgettable ways? And a study of the Lord's Prayer is always a good thing. So kind of looking forward to, to reading through that. Um, thinking about Paul Washer and print Bible editions. And I mentioned yesterday the man's sense of humor, which sometimes you get glimmers of it when he's in the pulpit, but you don't get it like you do when you're just talking to the man. And I remember um, it was at a TMAI symposium in Los Angeles, and um, I had uh, snuck my way into the green room because I was I had to talk to James White. So I was back in the green room with the, where the speakers hang out. And James said, oh, you've got to see Paul's new Bible. And Paul was sitting there working on his notes for his message. I think he was up next. And he looked up and, and uh, he said, oh, yes. And he picked it up and handed it to me. And it was, it was the first goatskin Bible I had ever held. And it was just the softest leather I had ever touched. Um, I don't remember uh, who the printer was. It may have been a Schuler. I'm not sure. But it was just this gorgeous. It was probably the first premium Bible I ever held in my hands. Um, I'm now blessed to have a couple, but it was it was a it was a gorgeous, gorgeous Bible, just soft leather and everything. And I handed it back to him and he held it and he was stroking the cover like petting a cat. And he said, I'm told this cover was sewn by elves in a magic kingdom. <laughs> the man's just hilarious. Um, so we, we continue to pray for his recovery and we're glad he came through surgery. Well, that was sewn by elves in a magic kingdom. All right. Our prayer for the reading of the word, blessed Lord, who caused all Holy scripture to be written for our learning, grant us. So to hear them read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. 
that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, we are looking at Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. We're going to break this into two parts. We're going to look at 14, I'm going to read 14 through 17, then we'll talk about it. Then we'll look at 18 through 20. Um, Obviously, these passages are related. They're talking about the same thing, but I'm breaking it down into paragraphs um, because each paragraph has a slightly different emphasis. Deuteronomy chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. When you enter the land which Yahweh your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom Yahweh your God chooses. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your brother. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Yahweh has said to you, you shall never again return that way. And he shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it will be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear Yahweh his God, to carefully observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his sons in the midst of Israel. Yes, I just read the whole thing. Um, Just kept reading, but that's okay. Um, Backing up, when you look at verse 14, this is obviously speaking of the future. He says, because there was no king in Israel in Moses' time. Um, He says, when you enter your land, the land that Yahweh is giving you, to possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. So the first thing we see here is the human tendency. I mean, we we have a common phrase, um, keeping up with the Joneses, right? If your neighbor gets a new car, all of a sudden you want a new car. Your neighbor paints his house, you got to paint your house. Your neighbor buys a boat, you need a boat. Your neighbor gets a vacation house, you get a vacation. There is something about the human heart that we like to be like everybody else. We envy people that have more than us. We pity people that have less than us, but we don't want to miss out. <laughs> um, if if somebody else has something, we want that something too. Now, I think this this is there's an element of covetousness there, an element of selfishness there, This is part of the fallen human condition. This is the sinful heart. Um, And we see it here in this desire to, um, you know, be a nation like all the other nations. Israel was called specifically by God and set apart. They were supposed to be different. And we see here that they didn't want to be different. They wanted to be like everybody else. This is the the driving force behind the seeker-sensitive church movement. This is what the, the seeker-sensitive churches are expressing. They want to be like everybody else. Um, they want to be like the world, you know. Their music should sound like 
the pop music you hear on the Top 40 station. Their preachers should dress like the people you see hosting TV talk shows. They're, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, not even hosting TV talk shows. I mean, even game show hosts, I think, mostly still wear suits and ties, but they're looking for somebody who's going to, you know, show up and look like uh, uh, an MTV VJ from back in the days. There, I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I had, <laughs> speaking of dating myself, the, the uh, UM dance team um, usually performs at football games and, and basketball games and stuff at the University of Montana. And uh, they're kind of a, a second cheer squad. They've got the cheerleaders, which are, you know, guys and girls, and they're the athletic, do the pyramids and the, the you know, the high throws and all that sort of stuff. And then you've got the UM dance team, which is, you know, more what you think an NFL cheer squad is. All girls, they dance. They don't, you know, I mean, it's not that. There was one girl did a flip in the presentation. I mean, they're not. It's not that they're unathletic, but they're dancers. And 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 yes, cheerleaders dance, and yes, dancers can be athletic, but <clears throat> there's a different function. You know, they're not out there doing pyramids and stuff like that. They go out and dance to music. And but just like the dan- the just like the cheerleaders, the dance team works the crowd during the game. So you'll have one section where the cheerleaders are in front of, and then another section where the dance team is in front of, and they all move around so that they're cheering in front of different sections during the game. But the the during the game, the dance squad during one of those long TV breaks will go out and do a dance to a, to a piece of music. And I was I, I made a comment that uh, because when I was in college. The UM dance team, which is the official name of it now, was called the Sugar Bears. And to me, they will always be the Sugar Bears because that was the dance team. Yeah, was, yeah. And they, they dumped it because they said it was sexist and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I made a comment about that in the stand and, and somebody turned around and said, man, you're dating yourself. So, yeah, I date myself sometimes with my reference to MTV VJs. But there's this... You know, desire to be like everybody else. Um, I even see it. There was a there was a a meme that went around, and it was a picture of a you know blue haired kid with tattoos and earrings and <clears throat> and everything. And the caption was because here's the thing: you see people of a certain demographic. Even now, you know they dress alike, they style their hair similarly, they wear similar, you know, accoutrements, jewelry, tattoos. There is a, you know, a demographic tends to be homogenous, meaning that, you know, if you're part of this group, you are usually identifiably part of that group. You can always spot the goth kid. You can always spot, you know, just from the way they dress. So, there is the the group of people who are quote unquote nonconformists who have all the tattoos and the the piercings and the crazy hair, but they all have it to a greater and lesser degree. And the the meme was picture of this guy with the crazy hair, a guy or a girl, I don't remember, and who knows anymore these days. But the caption was, 
I got to be different just like everybody else. Because it's true. They're, they're in non-conforming, they're conforming to a different norm. But they're still conforming. Because that is a, that is a, and, and conformity, if you're conforming to good things, is good. You know, if you're conforming to bad things, it's not good. And so there's this, there is a desire in the human heart to conform. And it comes out sometimes in ways like this. It says, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. There was going to come a time when Israel was going to be want to be like all their neighbors. And they were going to want a king. Now, on the one hand, this is, um, you know, this, this enviousness of the neighbors, of the uh, nations around them. On the other hand, Israel has to have a king because his name is Jesus. And it was all designed to be a kingdom um, looking for the coming king in the Messiah. So there is a, a, a sense in which Israel, while it was not founded with a king, it was not founded as a kingdom, it was founded as a, a nation. There is a sense in which it was always intended to be a kingdom even before it had a king. So the, there was a, a natural tendency to want a king. And so so some of it was, was um, envy of the nations around it. Some of it was this. So um, verse 15, you shall surely set a king over you whom Yahweh your God chooses. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your brother. So it says, you know, there's going to come a time when you're going to want a king your king has to be who God chooses for you. And that's, you know, the, they chose poorly, as as men often do, choose poorly for their leadership. Um, but he was saying, you know, there's going to be a king that I'm going to set up, and that is the king that you're supposed to follow. Um, I think he's talking about the fact, you know, he's going to anoint David and David's line, but even David's line had all kinds of miscreants in it. Um, he was going to do all these things, you know, but ultimately the king, this is pointing to the Messiah. Now this is not a blatant, you know, this is about Jesus, but it's hard to deny it's about Jesus. But then it comes into some regulations about it. It says, you know, it's got to be a king from among your brothers. You're not going to set a foreigner over yourselves. But then look at verse 16. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself. Nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Yahweh has said to you, you shall never return that way. Multiplying horses is referring to military might. I know it, 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 it's, you know, weird to think we don't think of horses that way, but for millennia, horses were, yes, transportation, but in the hands of a king, horses was horsemen and charioteers mounted combat for war. The horsemen and the charioteers, depending on the time and place, um, that was the the elite fighting force. I mean, that's we, we often think, you know, we talk about medieval knights, and I don't think we, we, most people overlook the fact or don't even, may not even have known the fact that the word knight comes from the French chivalrier, which goes, you know, chivalry. Well, what it means is horsemen. The, the chivalry and cavalry come to the same thing, you know, and, and the 
cavalry always rides to the rescue, you know. Um, that That's the same route. It's horse soldiers. So your medieval knights started out as the horse troops who developed into the nobility of Europe. And so you, you that's where that came from. So multiplying horses here is talking about military might. Now, this was not a prohibition to Israel not to have a military. What it was was a prohibition against amassing military power and depending upon it because their their defense was ultimately to be the Lord um, and their trust was to be in the Lord. You know, don't trust in horses and chariots. Trust in the Lord for your defense. Not a, uh, what, what it is, it's a prohibition against self-reliance. In everything, be dependent upon God and know you're dependent upon God. So, you know, don't multiply horses. Don't build up your troops. Don't seek to be a military superpower. This is to Israel. Don't take it as, you know, being to anybody else. But then he says, don't multiply wives. <laughs> okay. So here's a thing where the king uses his political power for his own personal pleasure. I'm the king. I can have as many women as I want because I'm the king. Nobody can tell me no. So... I'm going to seek after pleasure using my political power as king for my own pleasure-seeking and living a debauched lifestyle with multiple wives. Um, interestingly, David had multiple wives. Solomon most famously had many, many wives. Was a, I know it was a 1,000. Was it 300 wives and 700 concubines or 700 wives and 300 concubines? I know he had... You know, I know it added up to a thousand women, um, which is just unthinkable. <laughs> I just that that's just unfathomable. Um, and it says here, or else his heart will turn away. Um, the the and and there is speculation by liberal theologians have said that oh, this was written after King Solomon because they they put the writing of the Pentateuch after uh, during the Babylonian captivity. Um, which it wasn't, and we have evidence that it preexisted that and all of that. But, um, but that was that was the big uh, Wellhausen documentary hypothesis and everything was that the Pentateuch, the the books of Moses, were put together after uh, the Babylonian captivity or during and after the Babylonian captivity, when according to them the Jewish religion was invented. Um, it. So, but this was written in the time of Moses looking forward, because Moses was a prophet. Of course, they deny that God can reveal the future to anybody, because they pretty much deny that God exists. But this this was, they're saying that this was written after Solomon, and it was written as a rebuke of Solomon, because it does describe, in a lot of ways, the way Solomon lived. Multiplying horses, alliances with Egypt, um multiple wives and and then uh, greatly he shall not nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself and that's key it's not talking about the wealth of the nation he's talking about the personal wealth so verse 17 is talking about a king who uses his power of rulership for his own pleasure and his own material gain enriching himself and pleasuring himself and not for the good of the nation. Um, 
and that this devotion to pleasure and devotion to wealth will automatically turn someone's heart away from God and being righteous. And then we see in verse 18, Now it will be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. This is huge. When a king came into office, one of his first duties was to hand write for himself a copy of the law. Now, it's we don't know if, if Moses is talking about the whole Pentateuch or just talking about Deuteronomy. Um, either way, the king was to sit down and write out his own copy of the law. Why? Why would you have somebody do that? Because he would learn it. There's a set of, of Deuteronomy 17, 18 journals out there. I've got several of them that are that are designed for you to sit down and write out your own copy of a book of the Bible. And I actually have done one on Deuteronomy. Um, and it's a, it's a great study tool. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that all the studies have shown, and this is looking at college classrooms and stuff, all the studies have shown that um, handwritten notes lead to better retention of information than type notes. And there are colleges that no longer allow you to take notes on computers in class. They want you to write your notes because there's something about the action of writing and the brain-hand-eye coordination and all of that that leads to the retention of information. And I think back, I mean, I very rarely referred back to my notes when I was in college, but the fact that I had taken the notes, I remembered stuff. And of course, back then we didn't have laptops; so it was all handwritten. Um, and so that was a a key thing for me. Um, so um, that's a so you know handwriting the notes. So I I commend that to you. Whether you get one of these journals, they're about twenty bucks a piece for a book of the Bible, um, or whether you just get a you know legal pad from the office supply store and sit and write out a book of the Bible. Um, it will, it will help your retention and understanding. You will learn it. And so the, the king was commanded here that he was to sit down and write his own copy of the law in the presence of the priests. Why? Because if he had questions, there'd be a scholar there to ask. What did, what did Moses mean when he said X, Y, Z? And there would be somebody there to explain it to him. And so this was important. He says, verse 19, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear Yahweh his God, to carefully observe all the words of this law and these statutes. So this was a, a, this was a learning exercise for the king to bring the king to a better knowledge of the law and a closer walk with God. So he's going to learn to fear Yahweh his God and to carefully observe all the words of this law and the statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. You know, it's, it's hard to be king and not be arrogant. There is, it's, it's something that is seriously needs to be guarded against. And so that's a, um, that's an interesting thing. You can't, ha you know, it was it uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely wasn't it Lord Acton? Um, there's truth to that. 
So constantly being reminded that you are not the ultimate authority, that you are a king under divine authority, is going to help keep that arrogance down. I think it would be impossible to eliminate it in the fallen human heart because it's a natural tendency of our, our own misplaced pride and whatever. But it's good to be reminded. And so he was supposed to copy the law for himself. Remember, he couldn't go down to the bookstore and buy a copy. There was no printing. There was none of that. Everything was hand copied. But the thing was, you're supposed to copy it yourself so that you know what's in it. And then you have a copy to read and study the rest of your life. Um, and, and, and this is going to keep you from having your heart turned aside. You know, it says, don't, don't be lifted up above his brothers in arrogance and that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right or to the left. So, you know, if you know the law, you're more likely to follow the law. Now, ignorance is no excuse for disobeying the law. We all know that. But you can't obey the law if you're ignorant of it. So knowing the law and meditating on the law, I mean, Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted behind, beside a stream of water whose leaf doesn't wither. You know, it just... And, and in everything he does, he prospers. Um, probably misquoting that a little bit. But, the, you know, this is important. Meditating on the law of the Lord every day is what keeps you from being arrogant. And it what it's what keeps you obedient. And it's what keeps you solidly rooted in godliness. This is why, you know, I, I, the, the, old, the old prayer, or old song, you know, read the Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You know, that really is a good rule for life. <laughs> and and that's kind of the thing here. He says, and then we see, so, long, so that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his sons in the midst of Israel. So again, it kicks back to the Sinaitic promise that the, this, these promises and this law is concerned with life on earth in the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not denying that it has eternal moral significance. Um, but the Sinaitic Covenant was temporal and conditional. And it had to do with, if you obey, you will be blessed. And if you disobey, you will be cursed. And those blessings and cursings had to do with life here on earth, specifically life for Israel in the kingdom. So, Keep that in mind as we continue to go through the law, because it is important to know that the Sinaitic Covenant was temporal and conditional. The Abrahamic Covenant was eternal and unconditional, and it's the Abrahamic Covenant that we rejoice in, because it's in the Abrahamic Covenant that we are blessed in Christ. So, all important stuff to keep in mind. All right. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. Now the Colic of the Week, 25th Sunday after Pentecost. Stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people, that bringing forth in abundance the fruit of good works, they may be abundantly rewarded when our Savior Jesus Christ comes to restore all things, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Colic for Peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries, through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday morning of Thanksgiving week. Hope you have a great day ahead of you. I actually am off to Missoula today to pick up our traditional Thanksgiving, which goes back to the time when I I had to work every Thanksgiving. So we have not... uh, since I left, the, I used to work in a mill, and I I worked every Thanksgiving. And unless Christmas fell on my normal days off, I worked Christmas, too. I was the head of the security department. I said, if you, if you, if you don't want to work nights, weekends, and holidays, don't get a job in private security. Just just the truth of it. They don't call us night watchmen for nothing. <laughs> um, I, I stayed up and saw the dawn more as a security guard than at any other point in my life. Um, I mean, even when I was in the Air Force, I worked in an office during regular office hours. So it was, you know, um, I wasn't pulling you know, late night guard duty. Um, so that was just, you know, but working private security, I stayed up a lot. Um, and because I was working on Thanksgiving, we, you know, missed out on a lot of our family gatherings for Thanksgiving. I did have a, there was, there was nobody in the mill. <laughs> The only people that were there were the security officers and the guys who maintained the boiler because there was a there was a we called it the powerhouse and the powerhouse was they had to keep it going because you couldn't just shut it down for a couple of days. So there was always there was two guys in the powerhouse and there were two guys in security and uh, one guy on the gate and one guy patrolling the mill site and you know Nobody in the offices. The mill wasn't running. There wasn't anybody around, and um, so the four of us, you know, we looked after each other and took care of each other and had a good time together. Um, but and you know, I had a little TV in my office and had the football games on, and and it was it was not unpleasant. Um, it was a quiet day with nothing going on. You just had to be there, um, and so these were pleasant times. Um, but. We missed out on a lot of family Thanksgiving dinners because um, Janet would be home alone and I would be at work. And so we had developed the practice of Papa Murphy's Pizza. And so I we would pick up the pizza the day before or a couple of days before. 
And when I was leaving the mill after work, I would call home. They have to sit out on the counter for an hour before you can cook them. So I would call home. Janet would take them out of the fridge. They'd sit on the counter. They'd be ready to go into the oven when I got home. I'd get home, we'd cook pizza, and that was our Thanksgiving dinner for the over a decade when I was working security at the mill. And so we have, for the most part, maintained that uh, tradition. Um, we do get invited to Thanksgiving dinner uh, with family and friends at times, and we go, and we have fun. But when when there's nothing going on, we haven't, we haven't, uh, my, uh, my daughter and her husband, I believe, are having Thanksgiving with her mother. And my sister um, and her nephews and their wives and girlfriends are no doubt getting together. And my nephews, I mean, their wives' families are in Missoula. So, you know, it's, it's like they've all got broader family obligations. And, you know, we're 60 miles away anyway. Um, so we don't often take part in those things. And so this is this is our little family tradition. So we're going to have our Papa Murphy's pizza. So I'll be off to Missoula in a little bit. Just going in to get the pizza. Not not doing anything. I'm I'm thinking about having lunch at Chick-fil-A. You know, um just going to be me. Um my my inner introvert has been raising its head these last weeks or so. And so I'm going to take advantage of just having a couple hours alone in the car together. <laughs> Just me, me, myself, and I are going to go to Missoula. Um, I need a little bit of alone time. Um, people, people are surprised when I tell them I'm introvert um, because I'm a very gregarious introvert. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I need a lot of me time and recharge time. This doesn't bother me because I'm, I'm alone in the room. You know, it's me and me and Fiona the mouse. Um, are the only people in the room, um, even though I'm talking to you, <laughs> um, and 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 I'm mindful of you being here. I'm still alone, and that so my introvert is fine with this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, so that's our our Thanksgiving tradition. Um, whatever your Thanksgiving tradition is, I hope you have a great one. I will be here tomorrow. We'll continue with uh, our. Study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. There will be a special squirrel chatter on Thursday for Thanksgiving. Um, it will be pre-recorded, and and then I won't be here Friday. Um, I'm taking the long weekend, um, spending time with Mrs. Squirrel, and we've got some stuff we're planning on doing, and that's just the way that's going to be. So be here tomorrow. Be here Thursday. Won't be here Friday. Hope to see you tomorrow. Remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for another episode of Skull Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. 